Leaders from countries all over the world gathered in New York City this September to attend the United Nations General Assembly. Now, for those of us who report on geopolitics, the UN General Assembly is always very interesting because we get to hear from representatives from the 193 countries that make up the United Nations. And many of these countries are completely ignored by Western media outlets. They're demonized. We never get to hear their perspectives. Now, here at Geopolitical Economy Report, I'm going to be doing a series of short reports looking at some of the speeches from world leaders with a particular emphasis on world leaders whose speeches were ignored in the Western media. But I'm actually going to begin this series today looking at the comments from Mexico, the U.S. southern neighbor. They're very interesting because the foreign minister of Mexico, Alicia Barcena, criticized the hypocrisy of the United States in terms of the drug war. Now, multiple politicians in the U.S. from the Republican Party are calling for the U.S. military to invade Mexico in the name of fighting drug cartels. This includes numerous Republican members of the Congress and also Donald Trump, the former U.S. president, who is basically now threatening to invade Mexico as he runs for president yet again. Um, you also said recently that if you're reelected, you would send special forces and, quote, other military assets to Mexico to stop the drug cartels. The Mexican president is very much against this. You're going to start a war? Well, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do. I mean, I may do some things. Something has to be done. Look. We're losing, I think, 300,000 people. Okay, but let me ask you, I, I get it, and, and I cede to yeah. you that there's a serious problem that, that's no, affecting We're losing more Americans. money than if we were actually in a war. But, but. Not money. A lot of the money Republicans are saying lives. they're going to do this. We're losing more lives. If we were in a war, we wouldn't be losing, because I believe the number is 300,000. Well, we can't have a war with Mexico. Uh, no, it's a war on cartels. Mexico's petrified of the cartels. The cartels are running Mexico. But if we send our troops across the southern border, you know better than I do well, that I did, the Mexican president, sending, if he doesn't like it, yeah, we're in a war. I know, but well, I'm not too worried about that war. Uh, no, Mexico is sending their troops into our country in the form of illegal aliens that are killing people in many cases, that are causing lots of disease and lots of problems. And the argument that these extremist U.S. politicians make is that Mexico's state is too weak in certain areas, in particular on the border, and therefore the U.S. military has to invade the country in order to fight drug cartels, as if drug cartels were like a standing army, like you just send your troops and you just shoot all the drug cartels. I mean, it's clearly not that simple because drug cartels are deeply embedded in the economy, in different political institutions inside Mexico with corrupt politicians, corrupt sheriffs, corrupt police officials. Obviously, you cannot just bomb your way out of this problem. But of course, we've seen that the United States has been constantly at war, invading Iraq, invading Afghanistan, bombing Libya, bombing Syria, attacking Yemen, attacking now Russia in Ukraine. The list goes on and on. The U.S. has constantly been at war for decades, and Washington's response to every problem is more war. So in response to these threats from leading U.S. politicians, at the United Nations, Mexico pointed out that the U.S. bears responsibility largely for fueling this conflict because every single year, 200,000 weapons 
cross the U.S. border and enter Mexico. These guns filling the conflict are not coming from inside Mexico. In fact, in the entire country of Mexico, there is one gun store and it is very difficult to buy guns. It's a military store. Almost all of the guns, the vast majority, nearly 100% of guns in Mexico come from the United States, from weapons corporations, and they're trafficked across the border. So the United States and the military industrial complex play a leading role in fueling this conflict. And this isn't to mention, of course, the fact that it's the United States that is the biggest consumer of drugs in the world. The issue of drugs is not simply a problem of supply. It's also a problem of demand. And there is so much demand for drugs in the United States that cartels in countries like Mexico supply those drugs. So at the United Nations, Mexico pointed out this is not a one-sided problem and the U.S. should stop simply blaming us and take some responsibility as well. We reject the illicit trafficking of firearms and I would simply give you a figure here. We receive 200,000 firearms. These are trafficked every year to Mexico from our neighbor in the north. These firearms, of course, fall into the hands of criminals in organized networks and claim countless lives. That is the other side of the drug coin. Mexico, in good faith, shoulders its commitments when it comes to combating drug trafficking, but all efforts will be limited in their impact if countries which, which manufacture and act as the source for trafficked weapons do not shoulder their responsibilities for the scourge. We need decisive measures to reduce the vast availability of firearms. Those manufacturing and distributing firearms must also shoulder their responsibilities and adopt stringent measures to avoid these weapons being diverted towards the illicit market in our region in Latin America. And then in another criticism of the U.S., in her speech at the United Nations, Mexico's foreign minister, Barcena, called for an end to the illegal U.S. blockade against Cuba, which has been going on for more than 60 years. This has suffocated the people of Cuba every single year at the United Nations General Assembly. Almost every single country on earth votes against the illegal U.S. blockade. The only countries that support it are the U.S. itself and apartheid Israel. And in this speech, Mexico once again made it clear the embargo must end. We need to put an end to abhorrent situations such as the continued economic embargo suffered by Cuba. It's entirely unjustified, runs counter to international law and is alien to the to values and the peaceful coexistence which prevail among the peoples of Latin America and the Caribbean. We call for Cuba to be removed from consideration as a country which promotes and fuels or sponsors terrorism. Now, obviously, Mexico is in a very complex geopolitical situation. The United States is its northern neighbor. They share a massive border that is more than 3,000 kilometers long. Further complicating it is the fact that the U.S. is Mexico's largest trading partner and the in Mexico really relies on exporting a lot of its goods to the U.S. market. And furthermore, Mexico is now the U.S.'s largest trading partner as well. So economically, Mexico really cannot anger the United States too much. It can't criticize Washington too much because the U.S. could do serious damage to the Mexican economy through sanctions or through tariffs. And in fact, Washington has repeatedly threatened tariffs on Mexico 
First, Trump threatened tariffs, and now the Biden administration has also threatened tariffs in response to the Mexican government's nationalization of its energy grid, and also the Mexican government has nationalized its oil and its lithium reserves. And this has angered U.S. fossil fuel corporations and mining companies. Mexico currently has a left-wing government led by President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, AMLO. He is the first left-wing leader of Mexico in many decades. He has reversed the neoliberal policies of his predecessors, the right-wing economic policies, reimposed national control over Mexico's natural resources, and he has also maintained a more independent foreign policy, in some cases criticizing the U.S. But again, Mexico cannot anger the U.S. too much. In fact, in her speech at the United Nations, the foreign minister Barcena pointed out that geographically Mexico is in a complicated situation. Geography has placed us squarely and through no fault of our own at a very complicated juncture. Now, in that context, she was specifically referring to the issue of migration. But clearly, Mexico understands that it has this sword of Damocles hanging over it. And in fact, the president, AMLO, has repeatedly joked about this. He has cited a famous quote from Mexico's former president, Porfirio Diaz, who famously said, Poor Mexico, we are so far from God and so close to the United States. AMLO has in fact quoted that directly to Joe Biden. Of course, it was semi-jokingly, but not entirely jokingly. So the point is that we should never really expect Mexico to have an openly anti-imperialist government. It's never going to have, you know, a Fidel Castro or Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez famously at the United Nations General Assembly, he spoke after U.S. President George Bush, you know, a war criminal who invaded Iraq. And Venezuela's revolutionary president, Hugo Chavez, famously went up on stage and he said, wow, it still smells like sulfur. The devil was here. The devil is right at home. The devil, the devil himself is right in the house. And the devil came here yesterday. Yesterday, the devil came here. Right here. Right here. And it smells of sulfur still today. This table that I am now standing in front of. Yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, from this rostrum, the President of the United States, the gentleman to whom I refer as at the devil, came here talking as if he owned the world. Como dueño del mundo. Truly, as the owner of the world. Un psiquiatra no estaría de más. I think we could call a psychiatrist to analyze yesterday's statement made by the President of the United States. As the spokesman of imperialism, he came to share his nostrums to try to preserve the current pattern of domination, exploitation, and pillage of the peoples of the world. So clearly, geopolitically, Mexico is not in a situation where it will ever be able to do something like that. It's it's threatened by the U.S. But the reality is that increasingly, Mexico is returning to its more independent foreign policy before the rise of right-wing neoliberal leaders in the 1980s, and especially in the 90s, 
when Mexico signed NAFTA in 1994, the free trade agreement with the United States and Canada, and integrated into this kind of North American economic unit. And in 1994, Mexico also joined the OECD with many other Western countries. So Mexico is kind of turning away from the global South and turning away from the independent, non-aligned foreign policy that it had maintained in the 50s and 60s and 70s during the first Cold War. And there was another very important, I would argue, historic comment that Mexico's foreign minister, Barasena, made in her speech at the United Nations General Assembly. She said, we in Mexico are part of the global South and we are going to try to give the global South more power on the international stage. And she announced that Mexico is rejoining the G77 plus China. Mexico seeks agreements on all issues on the multilateral agenda because it's in, it, we're interested in reconciling positions without leaving anyone on the margins. But we're living in unprecedented times which require greater will to come to the fore to give voices to all in the global south. Mexico belongs to the global south indeed through history and conviction. Consequently, Mexico is considering participating in the debates and work of G77 plus China on those issues and in those fora in which we could contribute to strengthening the negotiating position of the global south. Soon, we will submit a proposal to G77 plus China for its consideration. This is very important because by saying this, Mexico is clearly saying we are not simply an ally of the United States. We're not going to blindly follow along with the U.S. We are an independent country. We are a Latin American country, not a just a North American country. You know, there's been this attempt to try to unite Mexico with the U.S. and Canada, separating it from Latin America, separating it from the global south. No, Mexico is saying we are part of the global south. And the G77, this is important. I discussed this in a recent video, which I will link to in the description below, because this September, there was also a summit held by the group of 77 plus China, and that summit was held in Cuba, and the countries together released a joint statement condemning the unfair international economic order and calling for fundamentally transforming global financial institutions. The G77 was formed in 1964 as a group of 77 formerly colonized nations that had recently uh, obtained independence from European colonialism, and they continue to expand. And today, in fact, there are 134 members. So it's still called the G77 for historical reasons, but it actually represents 134 countries, which represent more than 80% of the world population. So the G77 represents the formerly colonized countries, whereas the G7 represents the colonial countries that colonized them. And the G7 was founded, in fact, by the Western colonial powers plus Japan as a response to the G77. And Mexico had previously been part of the G77, but it left in 1994, when it signed NAFTA, when it became part of the OECD. And that showed that the Mexican right-wing governments at the time were, were looking toward the U.S., trying to integrate with the U.S. But now Mexico is once again returning to its position as a non-aligned country. And I think this is part of a historical shift. We see so many countries in the global south that are reviving the non-aligned movement. They're refusing to join in Washington's new Cold War 
on China and Russia. They're saying we are neutral. We refuse to pick sides. We are independent countries. We have our own economic and political interests. We are not going to subordinate ourselves to NATO, to the Western powers. This is a message that we heard from a lot of different leaders at the UN General Assembly. I'm going to be doing other videos in which I look at other speeches. But even in Mexico's speech, the foreign minister, Barcena, called for fundamentally transforming the international financial architecture, pointing out how unfair it is, how unequal it is, and saying that not only do we have to fight against poverty, but we also need to, to reduce the inequality between the rich countries, largely in the global north, and the poor countries, largely in the global south. And here, inequality is the major challenge because it's not sufficient to reduce poverty. We need a shift in our development paradigm towards one which redistributes power and wealth and one which narrows the unacceptable gaps and asymmetries between the rich and the poor and between countries. Equality is not simply a matter of being the subject of rights. Inequality is inefficient from an economic perspective and therefore we need to become equal to grow and we need to grow to become equal because we're no longer in a time of change. We're witnessing our time changing itself. Our epoch is changing and that means we need to rethink development and place equality at the heart of our work. Both at a national and international level, achieving the SDGs depends on having a vision underpinned by social justice and solidarity and that includes the commensurate mobilization of necessary financial resources and uh, the relevant necessary reform of IFIs. We are championing whole championing wholesale reform of the international financial architecture. This reform must address the deeply rooted asymmetries between countries. It must prioritize highly heavily indebted countries with new instruments with the redistribution of special drawing rights to widen the fiscal space of developing nations. It should also prioritize debt relief in exchange for environmental services, debt for climate swaps. There, she also mentioned an important idea that is becoming very popular in the global south. Many countries are saying, yes, we recognize that we need to transition away gradually from fossil fuels in order to protect the environment. But at the same time, we have to do so in a way that is economically fair. The rich industrialized countries, the formal colonial nations, they got rich not only through colonialism, but through destroying the planet, through massive carbon emissions. Countries like the US, Canada, European nations, they have a historic debt to pay to the global south. So in return for investing in renewable energy and a green transition, the global south should have its debts forgiven. This is a, a very popular idea. We see many leaders in the global south calling for this. Here at the United Nations, Mexico was calling for it as well. And also in her speech, the Mexican foreign minister, Barcena, made it very clear that Mexico is moving away from the right-wing neoliberal economic orthodoxy that has been imposed on countries across the global south by international financial institutions like the World Bank and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. She used the acronym IFI, which is International Financial Institution. They claim to be international, but these institutions are really dominated by the United States. The U.S. is the only country with veto power over the IMF and the World Bank, the Bretton Woods institutions. And in addition to calling for fundamentally transforming these institutions that are unfair, Mexico also said the state must play an important role in economic development 
in fighting poverty, in providing public goods. It's not all about the free market and privatizing everything. The state must play an important role, and we are doing that in Mexico, setting an example, fighting poverty. The desire for transformation and the action of our government has now turned precisely towards transforming our development model to create more and better public goods, to guarantee rights accompanied by fiscal responsibilities, and all of this on the basis of one core premise, for the good of all, first and foremost, for the poor. Our government has demonstrated the urgent need to restore the role of the state to regulate relations between the market, the state and society and to implement transformative structural policies. We need to return hope to our people, the hope of a country which is more just and egalitarian, to leave no one behind or no, nor anyone on the margins. And in the last few years, we've managed to lift some 5 million people out of poverty. We have witnessed the greatest rise in the minimum wage in our policy, in our history rather, and we have a dense network of social programs that extend to all sectors of society. But we're inspiring to usher in a vision of equality between all nations, where we see gaps and asymmetries between countries narrow. So those were just a few highlights of the speech that Mexico's foreign minister, Alicia Barcena Ibarra, gave at the United Nations General Assembly this September. I'm going to be doing a series of videos looking at speeches by other leaders, in particular from countries that are ignored and demonized in the Western media. And if you like the work that we do here, please consider subscribing. Definitely subscribe on all of our platforms to help promote this material in the algorithm. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please like the video, please subscribe to the channel. And if you want to listen to these episodes, you can go check out the podcast version. And of course, if you like the work that we do, please consider donating. You can go over to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. There are several ways you can donate. The best is you can go to patreon.com geopoliticaleconomy. We are completely independent. We have no institutional support. We rely entirely on small donations from viewers and listeners like you. With that said, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton of Geopolitical Economy Report, and I will be back very soon with other short videos analyzing speeches from leaders at the UN. Until then, see you next time.